Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. I guess on the Shell Pennzoil performance line, they include Bob Costas will join us here in a second. And a little later in this hour, we'll talk to David Pollack. Been a busy morning. A lot I want to get into with Bob. When we first sort of put together the the structure of this radio show, one of the things we did was try and set aside some extra time in one spot in the show that we could use to have a little extra time with certain guests. And over this week, we've done that. We've had Charles Barkley. We've had Brett Favre. And we'll have Costas in a minute here. And we'll get into some more of what we've been talking about. I opened the show this morning by telling you I believe the Clippers are in real trouble because they're playing the best player in the sport. Right now, Luka Doncic. Doncic and Dame Lillard right now are playing better than anybody. Lillard's the most underappreciated great player in basketball, and Doncic is on the verge of being the best player in the whole sport. Tim Legler said on my television show this morning on Get Up that the next decade is going to be the decade of Luka, and I totally agree. In the meantime, I'm waiting to see. Someone give me a thumbs up if Bob is ready to go, and we will have him in just a moment here, uh, and I will explain uh, a, a quick moment. I, not yet. We're trying to get that set up there with Bob. So I'll, I'll, I'll briefly tell you um, a little bit more about the basketball. Then tonight is the draft lottery, and then he's ready to go. Okay, so as I said, this is a spot that we sort of designed to be able to have a little extra time for people who are particularly interesting. And and as God is my witness, I said to Ray, who's sitting in the other room, we need to have a special extra time You know, for days that we have someone like Bob Costas on. And I've said many times, he's heard me say it many times, um, that there were two people who were the most influential in the sports broadcasting world in my life. Howard Cosell in my youth, who was the reason I wanted to be a sports announcer, and then Bob Costas, who has been the announcer that I have idolized throughout my career. And it is a delight for the first time in this reincarnation of my radio career to have Bob Costas on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. Hello, Bob. Hello, Greeny. You know, you have been reinvented so many times, I can't even trace the arc and the bends and twists in the road of your career. Well, uh, if anyone could, you could. And certainly if anyone could narrate it poetically right off the top of their head, you probably would. And I would ask you to do that, but I have more important matters to get to with you today. So here's the first, right. first thing I want to ask you about. Fernando Tatis Jr. If for yeah. those who are not following this story, is a 21-year-old phenom. He might be the most exciting young player in the game of baseball. He's on the San Diego Padres. He currently leads the major leagues in home runs. And he created a bit of a kerfuffle earlier this week by, uh, in a game against the Rangers, with a seven-run lead and the bases loaded, he hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch. He was browbeaten by, among others, his own manager and a few other people around the world of sports. But in this case, sort of illustrating the chasm between the traditionalists or the old school of baseball versus those who view it in a more contemporary way— there was a lot of people that I would not have expected to who were defending him, including, and I read these on the air yesterday, Johnny Bench and Reggie Jackson, who I would usually mm-hmm. expect to be on the other side of this divide. So it has brought up again a lot of the old school versus we need to drag this traditional sport into the modern age, a, a lot of those arguments. So as you have watched this play out, what were your thoughts on this incident and the conversation that has followed? Well, one small point his manager has said that he put the take sign on so either tatis jr missed the take sign or he ignored it i don't think it's a federal case either way but that does factor in a little bit but here's what i'd say 
individual stats matter. Winning the game and the team matters more, but individual stats do matter. The pitcher wouldn't want the umpire to say, look, we want to get out of here. It's getaway day, whatever it might be. Uh, any, anything the batter, uh, the, actually what I was about to say makes no sense that I've fallen down a notch uh, in your estimation. I guess I was your idol, and now I said something that was going to be backwards, <laughs> which is the sometimes remember the old rule was, look, uh, it's getaway day. The game doesn't mean anything. Both these teams are out of contention. If it's close, I'm calling it a strike, so be swinging. Mm-hmm. That, was kind of a, that was kind of a thing. Um, but let me back up and just put it this way. I don't think, Greeny, that it's a matter specifically of old school, new school. I think it's common sense versus let's not be ridiculous. For example, if a guy's got a no-hitter going and it's the seventh inning or later, and a guy bunts on him to break up the no-hitter, I'm sort of with the old-school view, come on, give him his chance, take a swing. But if it's a one-run game and it's a playoff game or one that could influence a playoff game, then it doesn't make sense to apply that old-school rule. In this situation, I just don't see the problem. He's a, a brilliant young star. He's exuberant. Why take why take the air out of that balloon? The score's 10 to 3. The bases are loaded. You know, the guy has a tendency to swing on 3-0. and You've got the analytics now. Why groove one? You groove one and he took you out of the park. That's your problem, not his. Now, here's something where I do kind of align myself with what generally is called old school thinking. I don't think that every single home run has to be celebrated as if you just won the seventh game of the World <laughs> Series. I think there are times, you know, when you look at some old footage, it actually strikes me as cooler sometimes. When a guy hits a big home run, he runs around the bases. Look at Hank Aaron on 715. How cool is that? How classy is that? How dignified is that? Everybody else is going nuts, and he's running out the same way as the first 714 that got him to that point. I don't think you should show other people up. And here's something that has a direct impact on the game. And when people say, hey, that's old school, they're insane when it comes to this. Guy hits a ball, stands at the plate. The ball hits the wall. Now he's either out at second or he's barely safe at second. And he says, well, I thought it was out. This is ridiculous. (laughs) There's no defense for that. Whether it's 1930 or 2030, 10 years from now, run the damn ball out. And then I don't care if you run like Ricky Henderson once you've seen the umpire signal home run. That cannot be defended. So my point here, Greeny, is this is not old school, new school. It's common sense versus no sense. I I think Tatis Jr. should be celebrated, and now everybody knows he might be swinging on 3-0. Don't groove one. I completely agree. All right, very good. But Bob, let me get to the next part of this here with baseball because we just had a conversation about college sports, and I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. And one of the points that I made was this is a year where all rules go out the window. We've never lived through anything like this, and I think we all hope Mm -hmm. that we never will. This is a a once-in-a-century type of circumstance. And so, as a result, we are seeing seven-inning doubleheaders. We are seeing runners starting an inning on second base in extra innings. We are going to see extra playoff teams in Major League Baseball. Do you like any of these changes enough that you would like to see them stick beyond a pandemic year? Well, I've said from the start, if we're talking about this pandemic circumstance, 
short of running the bases clockwise, <laughs> I think anything should be on the table. So I don't have a problem with any of it. Uh, however, I definitely do not like the runner on second base at the start of extra innings. Uh, it distorts the game. I don't like it at all. And the occasional 18, 19, even 20 inning game, that becomes part of baseball lore. It becomes something that people talk about. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If we're responding to the real problem of pace of play, then these little bits of fiddling around the edges, let's point to first base on an intentional walk. You know how many intentional walks there are on average in a big league game? Average is out to about one. And there's actually some drama in the four pitches high and wide because then the camera cuts to the manager, cuts to the guy in the on-deck circle. He's been dissed. He's going to do something about this. The fans are booing because Mike Trout doesn't get a chance to swing the bat or whoever it might be. The period of time that that takes, which is probably less than a minute, actually builds drama and anticipation and has almost no positive impact on the pace of play issue. The pace of play issue should be addressed by a pitch clock with nobody on base and by umpires ordering guys to stay in the box. Guys cannot step out of the box. Ball one, you haven't even swung the bat. Step out of the box, adjust everything. Part of that is the J.D. Martinez school of running all of the data through your head, everything you've seen on video, all the printouts of of data. I understand that, but it's got to be impressed upon the players that this this is a situation in which they and those who run the game have a mutual interest. It's an entertainment product. The more entertaining it is, the greater our revenues are going to be, and those revenues eventually trickle down to everybody. So if you're going to address pace of play, address it in meaningful ways, not in window dressing ways that actually don't have any kind of positive impact. Bob Costas with us here on Greenie on ESPN Radio. What do you think of what the NBA and the NHL have managed to do with these bubbles? We are seeing um, just unimaginable success with regard to the testing um, and, and the, the limited number, at, at some points, literally zero positive tests, mm-hmm. their ability to, to, to put together these postseasons when so many, myself included, were highly skeptical of their ability to do it. What, 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 what do you make in general of their ability to put together what they are for themselves and for all of us to watch? They've done it exceptionally well, but they were in a position where they could do it. They were on the brink of their playoffs. And in the case of the NBA, you have small rosters. NHL, not as small as the NBA, but smaller than baseball and certainly smaller than football. Baseball had to play some semblance of a regular season, and the Players Association was adamantly against the suggested bubbles. And as it turns out, the suggested bubbles, where they have spring training sites in Arizona or in Florida, turn out to be surge states anyway. So I'm not so sure how well that would have worked out. And it's different to say we're going to have uh, X number of basketball courts in a confined space than X number of baseball fields, which is going to be a more difficult thing. So in fairness, Baseball really didn't have that option. Basketball and the NHL did, and they've executed, ex- executed it exceptionally well. Football, if we're talking about the NFL, does not have that option. And given the nature of the game and the size of the rosters and the time of the year that they plan to play and the fact that some teams, not all, but some teams are going to allow a limited number of spectators, good luck getting from point A to point Z all the way across from September to some point in early February. Good luck.
Now, Bobby, I think all of us are just sort of crossing our fingers and rooting for the best, and we'll see what they're able to pull off. I, I guess I would like to ask you quickly, just as a lifelong broadcaster, this might be a little bit of an inside TV question, but but I think that the job they've done, I watch a lot of NBA um, I think the job they've done in putting together the product for the fans has been spectacular. I, I don't know. I asked, actually asked Doris Burke yesterday just how different it actually feels inside the arena. Because watching it on TV, I think they've done an incredible job of making it feel about as close to what a basketball game normally feels like as you possibly could. I agree with that. And I think the use of the virtual fans is, is a clever and amusing touch. Uh, again, the, the dimensions of the court and the way they can cut it uh, so that you're not panning into empty stands or, or whatever, except for those shots of the virtual fans from one side of the court, you're able to cut it camera wise so that the differences between this and a normal situation are minimized. It just occurred to me, by the way, I, I, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but as you were talking, it occurred to me that at the height of, of, of maybe the most popular time that we've ever seen in the NBA on television, that you were right there in the middle of all of it, which would have been uh-huh. the Jordan Bulls. And we all just relived that this past summer during this pandemic with, with, the, um, with, with the Jordan films that we did here. And so I hadn't planned to ask you this, but it actually just did jump into my head. And of course, I saw that you were one of the many people interviewed for that. I just, I just wonder what that experience was like for you watching those films and reliving all of that. And the Jordan era in particular which I romanticize to the point sometimes that it's almost ridiculous. And maybe the biggest reason is that I was in my 20s and, and you look back yeah. on that time of your life just differently. Um, but I was there in the middle of all of it in a very different way than you were. You had a much better seat than I did. What, what were your thoughts and, and what did it make you think about when those films were on this summer? Well, first of all, I thought that um, Jason Hare and his team did a magnificent job with it. It was wonderful storytelling. People really were drawn in. The fact that we were hungry for original sports programming and the circumstances of the pandemic uh, make it even more impactful. Yeah, but I think it would have basically had the same effect in in any time frame. There were differences between the 90s and at present. We're not talking about comparing LeBron to Michael. We're not talking about whether the best of the Golden State Warriors would have beaten the Bulls. But think about the circumstances in the 90s. You had a compelling leading man in Michael Jordan. You had a team of interesting people around him, the coach, Pippen, Rodman, and others. You had the fact that they won six times in an eight-year stretch and won every time, except for one, I guess, where Michael Jordan played a full season. Uh, No, everyone. Everyone. They did all the ones that he played a full season. Yeah, he only yeah, he played seventeen right. games that one year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone in the stretch. But also think of, and it's crazy to refer to the following people as supporting cast members. But the Jordan Bulls come off of the '80s with Bird's Celtics, with Magic Johnson's Lakers, and when you say Bird's Celtics, that includes Parrish and McHale and Johnson. And Ainge, and when you say Magic Johnson's Lakers, that includes Kareem and James Worthy and Byron Scott and Pat Riley as their coach. And within that decade, you've got Dr. J and Moses Malone and the Lakers. And during the 90s, you've got Barkley's Suns and Stockton and Malone's Jazz and Clyde Drexler with the Portland Trailblazers and Pat Riley's Knicks throwing a challenge at 
at the Bulls. And then you got the dream team smack in the middle of it as the NBA goes global. And you can factor in a bias on this next point on my part, but it makes a huge difference that the NBA was first on CBS and then it was on NBC. This takes nothing away from the quality of the broadcasting and the production for the NBA on TNT. Uh, Their studio show is maybe the best studio show in the history of American sports television. The quality of the announcing, Mike Breen, et cetera, et cetera. It's all terrific. But the NBA was on NBC during that era. It wasn't just how well those games were produced and directed. And I'd like to think how well they were broadcast, but also you had double headers on weeknights in prime time on a network in an entirely different television landscape. The promos for these games were on the Today Show and the Tonight Show, on David Letterman, on ER, on Seinfeld. It was much more central to the cultural conversation. If it were now, would Michael Jordan be as compelling and as great? Yes. Would it land the same way in American pop culture? It would not. Yeah, I've said many times that Michael Jordan came along right at the time when the world got a lot bigger, and LeBron has come along at a time when the world has gotten a lot smaller. And, well, you and, just said it better and more concisely than I did. Yeah, and, and but it was an unbelievable memory. All right, one more for you, Bob. You know how much I appreciate yeah. this. So I had Brett Favre on yesterday, and I made the observation that Favre, the, 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 the extent to which his fans loved him, was actually greater than how great he was. As great as he was, and he was a, a first ballot Hall of Famer and 100% worthy of that. But the people who loved him, loved him in an entirely different way. And it reminds me of the way my father was with Joe DiMaggio. My father loved Joe DiMaggio in a way that went was completely disproportional to the way you should feel about an athlete. And so I talked about who was your Brett Favre with, with, with my audience yesterday. Bob Costas growing up, obviously loving sports as you did. Who was your Brett Favre? Well, it wasn't football. It was baseball. And people are tired of hearing me say this, but my guy was Mickey Mantle. Um, My closest cousin among my many cousins uh, was two years older than me, is two years older than me. His guy was Willie Mays because he could remember the first baseball game he ever went to. It was at the Polo Grounds. We both grew up in New York and he saw Willie Mays. The first game that I vividly remember going to was in 1959. The Giants and the Dodgers had moved west. The Mets didn't exist yet. The Yankees were the only team in New York, and they were the best team in the American League, perhaps at times the best team in all of baseball. Mantle was the greatest star in the American League. Their games were on television a lot, which was not true of most of the country in the late 1950s and early 1960s. So I'm watching all these games on a black-and-white television, or I'm listening to Mel Allen and Red Barber call the games on the radio. So Mickey Mantle captured my imagination and he was my guy. Can I look at him objectively? Yes, I can. But can Mike Trout have the same effect on me watching him now? I can appreciate him. I enjoy watching him. Is it going to have the same effect on me? No. And if it did, it would be weird. (laughs) Why would a man in his sixties feel the same way about Mike Trout as the kid was eight or nine felt the same way about Mickey Mantle. And sometimes when idiots say, oh, he, he never relinquished his hero worship. No, you fool. I'm recalling it. I'm recalling it for you. 
I'm not still living in that same in that same childhood haze. <laughs> Thank you for cleaning that up, by the way. The use of fool there was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Costas, you know how much I appreciate this. Thank you so much. I hope that when all this is uh, this madness is, is behind us, that we can get together sometime soon. Thank you very much for the time today. I hope so, too. Stay well, Greeny. You, Bye. too. Take care. The great Bob Costas. Again, uh, I've told this story many times, but when I started in the business, Sports Illustrated did a, a big uh, story about him, just a huge profile. And I had a briefcase at that time. I was a 20-something-year-old kid. My uncle had given me a briefcase as a graduation gift when I graduated from college. And so I, like a dope, am walking around with a briefcase covering sports, which is ridiculous. But I put that magazine in that briefcase and I just had it with me all the time. And I just kept saying, that's the guy I want to be. That, that was the person that I wanted to be. And so I've, I've frequently been called in my career a poor man's Bob Costas. And I consider that the best compliment you could ever pay me. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial is proud to partner with the small business experts at SCORE. Access free online resources through the SCORE Small Business Resilience Hub at SCORE.org. We'll have David Pollack coming up in a little bit. couple of thoughts from the NBA that I think are worth getting into here. So I said something earlier that seems to have struck a little bit of a chord And I will set it up by once again playing for you what my buddy Jay Will said this morning on the show. The the morning show, I'm going to call them KJZ. Uh, It's unwieldy to constantly be saying their entire names. KJZ this morning, Keyshawn and Jay Will and Zubin. Um, Jay Will was talking about the performance of Luka Doncic. Tim Legler on my show this morning, Get Up, said the next decade in the NBA is going to be the Doncic decade. He has scored more points in his first two playoff games than any player in history except for George Mikan in 1949. And Jay Will said this. I'm not worried about the Clippers as much as I am in awe of the Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks are everything that the Philadelphia 76ers want to be. Yes, that's exactly right. They were everything the Sixers planned to be. They are the process. I don't know that they did it this way purposely, although they obviously struck gold in Doncic and they saw the opportunity to take Porzingis off the Knicks, pair the two of them together. And here's what I'll say. If the process was supposed to lead you to having the best young duo in the NBA in a sport where you don't have trios anymore. By, by Kawhi Leonard last year deciding not to go to the Lakers and join AD and LeBron, you're now for the most part looking at dynamic duos. So you've got LeBron and AD, 
You've got Russell and Paul and and, uh, and Paul and um, excuse me, Russell and James Harden. You've got Paul George and Kawhi. You've got some of these other duos. When you consider the youth of Porzingis and Doncic, there is no team. I will make this a definitive statement, and someone tell me where I'm wrong. There is no team whose future is brighter in professional basketball than Dallas. No team. Because if you put the right pieces around those two guys, no one is as good as they are. Think about what the NBA is, what it has become, and what it figures to be. Luka Doncic is the exact guy you want with the ball in his hands. And Kristaps Porzingis is the exact piece. He's 7'3", shooting 30-footers. He has range that very few guards would have had a generation ago. And he's 7'3". He is, he, he, is, he is the next iteration of what Dirk Nowitzki once was. You put the right pieces around those guys, and they're doing an unbelievable job. Again, they're getting contributions off the bench last night from, from guys you would never even imagine. Seth Curry and Boban playing huge for them. But forget about that even, because I don't think they're going to win this series as great as they have looked so far. But whether they do or they don't, there is no brighter future in the NBA than the future in Dallas. That's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is this, and it involves what Paul Pierce said on first take the other day. I'll play it for you. This was Paul Pierce, and just bear in mind, he and LeBron have, they have a history, but he's certainly entitled to his opinion. Paul is a, is a future Hall of Famer, and this is what he said about LeBron and the Lakers being in a one nothing hole right now to Portland. If they don't win this year, LeBron's not getting any younger. This is going to be a big hit on his legacy, and I've already said He's not a top five player of all time. If the Lakers don't win a championship, let alone lose in the first round, I don't want to hear none of this GOAT talk no more. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack. It is remarkable how many different things he said in 15 seconds. So let's start with this. I do believe losing this series, losing as a one seed with another top 10 player in the league as your teammate in the first round of a playoff series or playoff run would be damaging. The only thing that would soften that would be the circumstances. I think the fact that it's happening in a bubble and that we're living in a pandemic and all of the other craziness that is going on right now would make that feel a little bit less egregious than it would in a normal year. But it would certainly have to hurt because LeBron James is competing with ghosts, right? He's competing with Michael Jordan and Oscar Robertson and people like that. He's, he's not even competing with Dame Lillard, who might beat him. I don't think he's going to. And this is the reason, because the reason I believe the Lakers are going to come back and win, I think they will play huge tonight. I think LeBron and AD will combine for 70 points. I think they will win easily tonight and wind up winning the series in five or six games is because players like LeBron don't lose this series. It just doesn't happen. You never make a fortune betting on things in sports that never happen. This never happens. Even in a bubble, I don't believe it'll happen. So I do believe that there is... Something on the on the line here, something at stake legacy-wise for LeBron in this series, but I believe he will come out of it fine. I believe they will win, he will win, he will find a way, because players like him don't, they don't lose series like this. Then there's Paul saying he doesn't believe LeBron is a top five player. That's a fascinating one. I know a lot of people whose opinions I value who say they think LeBron is the greatest player of all time. I'm not one of them. But there are people whose opinion matters to me who will tell you that. Here's what I would say. In basketball, we put together these Mount Rushmores. 
Here's the way I put my Mount Rushmore together. To me, three of the spots are easy. Michael Jordan, to me, is the greatest player that ever lived. He's on Mount Rushmore. Bill Russell is the greatest winner who ever lived. He's on Mount Rushmore. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the most accomplished player who ever lived. He's on the basketball Mount Rushmore. For me, those three guys have to be on there. There is no there is no legitimate basketball Mount Rushmore, in my opinion, that doesn't have those three faces on it. The question then becomes about who's fourth. And there are a lot of players that I think you could you could argue for and defend. And LeBron James is one of them. If you put LeBron James in that fourth spot, I would 100%. Well, I wouldn't necessarily agree, but I wouldn't fight you. If you put Magic Johnson in that spot, I wouldn't fight you. If you put Wilt Chamberlain in that spot, I wouldn't fight you. If you put Oscar Robertson in that spot, I wouldn't fight you. It might end there. Kobe? You could put Kobe in that spot. I wouldn't fight you. Tim Duncan? We're getting in a little bit. The list is getting a little too long. I guess what I'm saying is I could see putting LeBron as high as fourth, and I could see putting LeBron as low as seventh or eighth. These things are just opinion. It's just, it's just a question of who you like better. I mean, Will Chamberlain has his own record book. The numbers on Will Chamberlain are so ridiculous as, as to be incomparable to anybody else. Guy averaged 50 points in a season. So it's impossible to compare that to anybody else. I can't sit here and tell you you're an idiot if you think he's a better player than LeBron James. In my opinion, I put LeBron ahead of him. When we did this Mount Rushmore on Mike and Mike years ago, I put Oscar there because I wanted to respect the the past. But I, if you wanted to put Magic there, I'm good with it. You want to put Wilt there, I'm good with it. You want to put LeBron there, I'm good with it. So when everyone went crazy that Paul Pierce said, how can you say LeBron is not a top five player? I don't think it's that crazy. It's an opinion. And when you consider the history the two of them have, I'm not surprised that it's his opinion. You can stream Our Time, the new series on ESPN+. Plus. Get an all-access look at Oklahoma State football as they reopen campus, deal with COVID-19 testing, and an investigation of head coach Mike Gundy. Stream new episodes every Thursday only on ESPN+. Plus. We haven't talked anything about the NFL today. I'm going to change that coming up next. Is there a more dangerous player in football right now than Lamar Jackson? The answer is yes, and I'll tell you who it is right after this. I'm Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, we're back. Greeny with you here. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. It's that time of year. The NFL's almost here. ESPN Fantasy Football's around the corner. Draft your team. Compete with your friends. Take home the crown. Sign up now at ESPN.com slash fantasy football today. Lamar Jackson would obviously be a very popular quarterback pick, having put up numbers last year that were bordering on ridiculous. As I pointed out for you on TV a couple of weeks ago, since he became the starter in Baltimore, week 11 of his rookie year, he's the winningest quarterback in the sport. He's thrown more touchdowns than Tom Brady with fewer picks than Patrick Mahomes. He has run for more yards, rushed for more yards than Saquon Barkley on 52 fewer carries. And he was the unanimous MVP in his second season. He makes defenders look silly, almost as silly as all those evaluators who told him he should play a different position in the NFL. But now we had an interesting conversation this morning on Get Up. Our Jeremy Fowler did a story in which one executive said that Lamar Jackson, as dangerous as he is, as difficult to contain as he is, might only be the second most difficult to contain quarterback in the sport this coming season. And that everyone should have their eyes on Kyler Murray in Arizona. And I'm now going to do what so many seem unwilling to do when it comes to Lamar Jackson. All these people who are putting Lamar Jackson on the second tier and saying they need to see it one more year and talking about how he hasn't won a playoff game despite the fact that he just turned 23. All of those who are just not willing to admit how good he is because they were wrong about him. I'll do it. I was wrong about Kyler Murray. I said I wouldn't draft him because he's just too small. And when you watch him play, I still can't believe how good he is because he's just so small. When you watch him run around out there on a football field, it boggles my mind how small he looks, and yet he's great. He's obviously just great. All of you were right, and I was wrong. It's not that hard to say. Lots of people are wrong about their projections on stuff. Nothing wrong with it if you just admit it. So I admit it. I was dead wrong. On Kyler Murray, and I think he's going to be unbelievable. The acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins this year, the conversation we had this morning was, is it possible that Murray, while he he isn't as inclined to run, and they certainly don't have an offense that's designed for him to run the way the Baltimore offense is designed for Lamar Jackson to run, is it possible that he is nearly as dangerous a runner and actually at this point a better passer than Jackson is? It's possible. And you take into account that they just got a guy who, in my opinion, is the best receiver in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins, and they still have the the wily veteran there in Larry Fitzgerald. Is it possible that Kyler Murray will actually have the best season statistically of any quarterback in the NFL this year? You're darn right it's possible. I I think that is a guy to watch, fantasy-wise and otherwise. The NFC West is the best division in the sport by far. The Seahawks just made a huge acquisition They just got the best safety in football. They add that to a team that has Russell Wilson that was one yard away from being the one seed in the West last year. The 49ers obviously had the lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl last year. The Rams were in the Super Bowl the year before, and I think Arizona is going to be much better. So that's a great division. We'll see how it goes. But one way or another, it's just an interesting way of looking at it. 
as we start spending these days together, you'll find I love football. I love talking about football. I will love hearing from you on these thoughts on football. We'll have Ryan Clark on here tomorrow. We'll bounce this thought off him and many others. But obviously right now we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs. And they're here on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as LeBron and the Lakers battle the Blazers, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 Eastern on most of these ESPN Radio stations. I've already told you what's going to happen tonight. The Lakers are going to win. LeBron is going to play huge. Anthony Davis is going to play huge. And the reason they're going to win is because that player doesn't lose this series. Just look back at the history of the NBA. It just doesn't happen. The Immortals don't lose in the first round. Not, not to an eighth seed. I don't care if they're in a I understand the circumstances are unprecedented. They're in a bubble. There are no fans. And, and, and the Trailblazers are not your everyday eight seed. As they got healthy and Dame Lillard had the season he's had, if, if this season had gone to its conclusion, they would have finished higher than eighth. But it is what it is. The Lakers aren't going to lose this series. There's just no way. No one ever gets rich betting on things in sports that never happen. So LeBron will win this series. They'll bounce back tonight. They'll win. They'll play big. The world will feel normal again. I think the Clippers are in bigger trouble than they are, but they're not in trouble either. I think they'll win. I don't think we're looking at any huge upsets in the first round. Would we consider Utah over Denver a huge upset? I don't think that would be huge. I don't think that would, I wouldn't characterize that as huge. Orlando's not going to beat Milwaukee. I don't think we're looking at anything that, that could even really be described as a significant upset in this first round. I'll tell you what I am interested in. The lottery tonight, we had Billis on earlier talking about how deep this is, a lottery where we just don't know these players. Now, last year was all about Zion, obviously, and I, I think it might have been the highest-rated lottery ever, or it was the, the highest-rated in a very long time, because everyone wanted to see where he'd wind up. Billis said he thinks the first three picks this year are where the huge difference gets made. That's where the drop-off is. So do the Warriors wind up in that top three? If Golden State, if all those guys come back healthy, obviously Clay and Steph and all them come back healthy, and they add another really meaningful piece, watch out. The battle may be joined in the West. The Warriors could be back at it before you know it. So that's something to keep an eye on tonight. And then Jay talked a little about LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is a kid that we've all known since before Lonzo got to UCLA and before his dad became a household name. LaMelo Ball is someone who's was firing up Instagram you know, years ago, my son, who at the time was probably 12, was showing me videos of LaMelo Ball years ago. And here it is, finally. And it's interesting. He comes in with so much less hype than his brother did. I mean, Lonzo, because of the ball factor, because of Lamar and because of everything else that happened, LaVar, excuse me, and everything else that happened, there was so much conversation around Lonzo. And it is remarkable how under the radar the LaMelo thing is. But some team is going to draft LaMelo Ball. And and I just wonder if that all of that hoopla and conversation starts again. I really don't know what to expect. I, I haven't heard LeVar Ball's name in a while. Has, 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 has anyone? Am, am I just missing it? I feel like I'm reasonably well plugged in. I host a show every single day, and now I host two. So I'd think if people were talking about him, I would have heard it. So I wonder if all of that, all of the craziness, call it whatever you want, that surrounded the family has sort of dissipated. And now we all of a sudden just become in a place where LaMelo Ball either is or isn't going to wind up being a great player. I think his brother is going to be a really good player on on what is eventually going to be a really good team in New Orleans with Zion. We'll see what LaMelo becomes tonight. Maybe we find out where he goes. Fun day today. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time for Get Up on ESPN. See you then. Greeny, ESPN Radio. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.